It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we are live! Welcome into another episode of Hockey Royalty Live, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com. Your boy's back in the saddle again here, like Aerosmith would say. Having some fun. Russell is on his way, stuck in L.A. traffic, so he's only got another 17 hours to go before he gets here. Uh, Joe, good to see you. Today we are talking about depth scoring, stats versus tape, what our eyes are seeing us. Hey, is Kempe using this advanced data to help his game? Early analysis of PLD and much more. Get in the chat, like, and subscribe. Let's go. Man, it's been a while, guys. It's been a while. Back in the saddle, ready to get going. I'm excited. Uh, you know, we, we we had some really early excitement here. CJ coming in at 340. Uh, so, <laughs> for your time, the three amigos are back. We will be shortly once Russell gets in here. He should be coming in here uh, here pretty soon. He repeated himself. He's just so excited. Now he's adding some hockey sticks in there. Al Smith, let's go. And then we gave him some time. He's like, good, I'm still working. I could use the extra 30 minutes. You're welcome, Al Smith. Appreciate it. Devo, go Kings, go Topanga. Let's go. Evening all. Who's the new guy? I don't know. Who? I don't know who I am. Uh, I don't even watch hockey anymore, apparently. Uh, but uh, appreciate you guys welcoming me back. Thank you, David. Oh, welcome back. Appreciate it. CJ, thank you. Uh, hope your trip was fantastic. Yes, it was. Joe and I were talking about it. Um, it was. It was, you know, three weeks well spent. Not really able to watch any uh, any hockey at all because it's six hours to eight hours, depending on where I was at ahead of time. So one or two in the morning and, you know, you need VPNs and all this kind of stuff like that. And it was, just wasn't working. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get all the data on the podcast, just like you fans listening to, to Hockey Royalty podcast, see what was going on. You guys did a great job in my absence. Appreciate you guys holding it down. Uh, Joe, how have you been, man? It's been almost a month. How you doing, buddy? Um, I'm doing well. First of all, uh, welcome back. Uh, and thank you. Appreciate it. The, uh, you know, Russell, and I, we, we did our best, but I, I, as I made comments pretty much on each of them, but certainly in the last one, like, I can't wait for Rando to get back here because <laughs> we, you, I, Russell had said it, I think at one point, it's just like you, you kind of get the ship where it needs to be because there's times where we'll just be, flying aimlessly through space talking about uh, lord knows what we end up talking about sometimes but you 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 keep us on track so we're definitely happy to have you back in the saddle there no i appreciate that appreciate that uh yeah it was it was a good trip um thoroughly enjoy myself i would highly recommend portugal and spain to anybody 
Uh, Portugal, I liked a little bit more, a little bit more laid back. It was nice having more people speak English, which was kind of great. You know, I'm a uh, social, if people can't tell. So I like going out and talking and, and doing those types of things. Um, and I appreciate all the well wishes. I know with everything breaking down in, um, you know, Jerusalem and everything like that, people wishing me safe travels home and getting home safe. Uh, it means a lot that you guys uh, were keeping tabs on me and and with the well wishes. King's Rule coming in here. Hey, guys, thanks for the podcast. Good to see you back. Safe and sound, Rando. Appreciate it. King's Rule. Appreciate it. So let's get into it. I you know, I saw like a game and a half because when I got back, I uh, it was Saturday night and the jet lag was grabbing a hold of me. And apparently I didn't miss much in the first game on, on you know, against Boston. But second game, got to see a dub uh, against the Yotes. Uh, but we're going to kind of be talking about this month as a whole a little bit. I know. Uh, recency bias kind of plays into it and how people view the team and, and everything. But we want to see this kind of month and and where the stats are going in and, and that kind of thing. And the big, the big, not only in the last game, but in the in the, the whole month, we've been talking about depth scoring here. So uh, it's been huge. And, and with the signing of PLD, people are talking about, um, you know, pushing down the lines and, and getting more waves going through and not really relying on a, on two lines to 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 pull this whole carriage through. So, Joe, why don't we talk about talk about the the bottom line first? You know, and 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 Lazotte and how you've seen maybe Grunstrom obviously has multiple goals already. I believe three. Uh, you know, excellent shot still there. Lazotte still pushing it, and maybe how that kind of line has kind of been molded through, through the first uh, month of the season. Well, I I think that we've seen Blake Lazotte in the past over the last couple of seasons be, I mean, an excellent fourth line center, like one of the best fourth line centers, I think it could be argued in the NHL. So if you, if you put the right type of wingers around him, then there's an opportunity for that line to be really good and present a mismatch deep into the lineup. And, you know, we've seen him have success with Arthur Kaliev in the past, um, Brendan Lemieux was somebody that had success on his line and Carl Grunstrom too. And Grunstrom's off to a really good start. Um, he's got, you know, he's got what, three goals on the season. Two of them are, are five on five goals. So yeah, I, I mean, I think that, that they're getting scoring Trevor Lewis scored in the last game. He's picked up a goal and I think an assist so far. Um, so I, I think it's not surprising to see the production because well, that's what Lazat can do. He can drive a line at that part of the lineup. We've talked about it. You know, Randon, I know you're a huge Tonka guy, and we've talked about how productive he was when you when you know we've all tried to find times it's like, ah, is Tonka is, is is can he stick in the lineup? But then you look at the numbers, just like how do you not have him in the lineup? All he does is is produce, and he's he's doing that right now. So um no, I think it's it's great to see production up and down the lineup. I know, you know, the big everybody talked about the spine of the team and with after the Dubois signing, and it's like Kopitar, Dubois, Deneau, and everybody stopped there. But it's like, do not forget about Blake Lazada just because he's not a big guy or he's not a big name guy, and he is a fourth line center. Like it's not as if he's a top six guy or anything, but. This is what he does. He he contributes to the offense. He he he's he's a really really good play driver, uh, and I think with the right wingers, you can have a, a productive fourth line. Yeah, two thirds of that line are are top five in the team in goals this month. So, you know, being Grunstrom and Lazat. So, I, I you look at 
I, I personally think, I know you you mentioned it, you know, in the podcast before I left that you believe Jad is like a Swiss Army knife that he can play mm-hmm. up and down the lineup. And I believe the same thing with Grunstrom. I think he adds an element of he's going to be there to shoot. Uh, he's going to be there around the net. He's going to muck it up. He's not afraid to lay uh, lay some wood uh, down and, and hit some people. And I, his wrist is just very underrated. And I think he, he kind of goes uh, along those lines of like, okay, everybody wants to take him out for young blood, but then – why like he's there for he's producing at this point and i know last season he was pretty inconsistent but it always seemed like the game that he got put back in the lineup he would score you know what i mean like it would always be that way and then two you know two playoffs ago he was a, a one of our best players if not the best player in the lineup for a stretch of game so i think it, it's just necessary and, and and you know a lot of kings twitter and fandom wants a little bit more hitting on it, and then wants a little bit more size with the the Unglin bringing in. They like that. They like the Gabrikov, but Grunstrom brings that. He's not afraid to shoot. He's not afraid to lay it down. And I think the energy to where that line is not only able to score, but it's relentless to play against. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's 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 never ending because you're either getting pestered on on the defensive side uh, on, on the defensive side, or they're able to create some buzz on the offensive side. So I think they have a nice little dynamic. I would like to see uh, a little bit more circulation into that Trevor Lewis spot, um, you know, just to kind of keep some people fresh uh, with the, the <clears throat> and, and maybe some, you know, play a Jared Anderson Dolan or something like that. I know that they the cap constraints and everything, um, you know, you kind of, kind of got to get for somebody into the lineup. It's not like Lewis is playing out of his mind, uh, but I, I really like that fourth line in the way they're playing right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I and again, I, I I echo pretty much everything you just said. Um, you know, I I, I just sense that I'm kind of the the down man when it comes to Lewis, but um, you know, so far he I, I wouldn't say he's been good, but um, you know, the Kings have have the the line has produced uh, in spite of it, and and he's he's chipped in too, so. Um, you know, hey, the, the line's producing right now, so I'm sure we're not going to see any changes coming off, uh, you know, a game where they, they chip in some some points on top of it. So so depth doesn't always come just from the fourth line. I know that the middle six is kind of an interchangeable, so I'm going to kind of take this in a little bit of different direction with one of your favorite players and a fan favorite is Trevor Moore, obviously leading the team in goals, uh, and he's kind of been more of a depth piece. I think with the, his struggle last season um, and – me, uh, I'll fully admit, thought that he was overpaid, um, not only in term, but in money. And, and so far, he's making me eat crow, and rightly so. Uh, it is a long season, and hopefully he can keep that up. But it's bringing in Pierre-Luc Dubois and, and Kempe getting 40 goals and, and Kopitar having another good season and hoping we wanted to see a big jump from Byfield. Trevor Moore's name's kind of been um, – was pushed aside to start the season. I know you did almost a full podcast on Trevor Moore a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, it's he's definitely getting noticed now, but that's part of this topic is depth soaring. I think in the, to start the season, if you were to say that Trevor Moore was going to lead the team in goals, I probably would have laughed in your face. And, and, and he's done just that. So, I mean, I think he's brought a great depth to – the scoring acumen for this team. So one of the things, I mean, he, he was my bold prediction. I don't think you were around on it because you, you may have been gone. I no, I listened to that episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 30 goals, which is admittedly bold, but the point of the question that Russell put out there was bold. So I went bold. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right because 
everything you just said with what you have Andre Kopitar at the top, he's your one C Kempe is your 40 goal scorer. You bring in Dubois Fiala's a point of game player. Um, you know, then there's the young guys everybody talks about with Quinton Byfield, um, Arthur Kaliev, you know, then Laferriere comes seemingly out of nowhere and he's got a spot on the roster rightfully so. And, and I think you're right. I think Trevor Moore kind of found his way off to the side a little bit, but, you know, there was just too much that I've liked about his game the last couple of years that if he can be healthy, I really think this is a player that, again, 30 may be bold, but I think 20 is a lock. Like, I genuinely think that he was easily to a 20-goal scorer this year, health, you know, provided health. But if he popped off, that this this is somebody that could push 30, and I think we're off to a good start here. Um he the motor he brings he's relentless on the puck he draws penalties and the thing is is it, it i believe it was jim fox that noted it on one of the broadcasts earlier in the season it was one of the first couple of games i think talked about a tweak in his stick and his stick blade um which i wasn't aware of before the bold prediction but if he did make a tweak to his stick and to his uh his blade <laughs> that could inevitably help his shot in addition to any work he's put in on the, in the off season on his shot. So yeah, like this is somebody that if he can start to chip in, now you're talking about, you've got Trevor Moore scoring 20 plus goals. You've got Grundstrom's going to chip in, you know, 15 goals. Um, and then you've got Blake Lazat doing what he's doing on the fourth line, takes a little bit of pressure off of the guys at the top where, you know, Kempe hasn't really gotten going. That top line hasn't, gotten going yet in terms of production um so it takes a little bit of pressure off that when if one line doesn't have it you've got a few others that can contribute and i think that is just so so important i think that's a big reason why they're averaging over full four goals a game i mean and and where most of our games are going to be track meets where it it's going to be interesting because it's like like you said when one line doesn't have it you're like okay i there's goal scorers on every single line yeah one of these lines are going to punch through and have a day and be able I mean, there's been one game this season where the offense has kind of looked lackluster, right? I mean, so it, to my knowledge, I mean, like you you watch the whole season, yeah. kind of just getting snippets. But to me, it's been like one um, that the offense has really looked, you know, anemic. And it's like, okay, that's the type of team that you, you, you're never out of it. You're never out of a game with the way the lineup is constructed right now. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't know that coaches, particularly maybe McClellan wants to win games seven, four night in and night out. And, um, but you know, this is the team that they're kind of slowly, it's really weird. They've got a team that's built for a track meet, eh, maybe not a track meet, but they got a team that's built for offense in terms of the forwards, but they got a group of defensemen that is built to defend um, first and foremost before anything. And then they've got goaltending, which is like, just find a way to make one extra save than the other guy. So it's a little awkward if you think about it, but, um, but no, like they're, they're, it's the depth of the scoring is, is what makes this team as strong as it is. I I saw a comment on here and, and, and let's see where, if I can find it again. And, oh, here we go. Dave O coming in here, all the scoring and Kempe still hasn't got going yet. Um, you know, the first line has been kind of, you know, a little bit lackluster so far as, as a unit, as far as putting pucks in the net, mm-hmm. uh, and five on five, uh, you know, the analytics, uh, might say something different there, but it's really nice to see f- a, a full lineup contributing to the scoring. 
for a long period of time, it was if Kopitar's line isn't moving, this team isn't moving. And then you, we got Carter and, you know, that line contributed, you know, with the, that 70s line. It's like, oh, now we got two lines. And that was really it. And the team for the last two years, it was like, okay, either the Deneau line or the Kopitar line has got to figure out something. Otherwise, this team isn't really going to put anything together. And now to have four lines really able to take over a game or take over a shift and, and change the momentum of, of what you're looking at with the Kings is, is something different that we really haven't seen. It's not uh, the way the team has generally been built, but it's something that we've kind of alluded to in the podcast and, you know, dating back to last season. Like when you look at some of the players that have been brought in, you, you know, they brought in Arvidsson a couple of years ago. They bring in Fiala. You know, I know Deneau is more of a two-way center. And then you've got these young, exciting offensive prospect defensemen in Jordan Spence. And you had Dursey before he was traded. And you've got Brant Clark as your gem. You've got, prospects like Byfield and and uh, uh, Kaliev. It's like this team is not a team that's built from the roster that you're putting together to win 3-2-2-1 games. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't play that way. You know, if you've got a team yeah. that can get up and get after it, then get up and get after it and put bucks in the net. And, and especially if you've got, you know, Kempe's established himself as a 35-40 goal scorer. Uh, you've got Fiala. These are legitimate offensive threats. Obviously, Kopitar, you know, P.L. Dubois never been like an elite producer, but he's been a consistent, you know, mid-60s type of point getter, which I, I, I think there's no reason why he can't do that and then some. So, um, yeah, I mean, if your team is kind of built this way, uh, find a way to make it work where you're going to – you can't sit back and play a defensive style when you have the goaltending that they have. Like you kind of have to just, you know, trust that when you're in the D zone that you've got the strong centers and you've got your defensive defensemen throughout to, to not give up any high danger chances with they've, which that's why they've gotten the goaltending they've gotten is what they, they, they don't give up a lot of high danger chances um, as a team. They haven't for a couple of years, but don't be afraid to get after it offensively. And, and I would say so far they haven't. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting to see the uh, the the team and how it's been brought together with that. And, and it's almost like you look at the NFL when these quarterbacks are drafted and uh, and it's like the offensive coordinator builds an offense around the quarterback. Right. Like the the Eagles built an offense around Jalen Hurts to make him successful. And it's like when you have certain players on your team and you're trying to make them fit into a mold that they don't fit in or are not accustomed to fitting in rather than just letting them play how they were supposed to play. It's like, you can't cage Kevin Fiala. You just gotta, you gotta deal with the bad and the good. And then hopefully there's more good. And this team is more often than not going to uh, surprise some people, just like we just got surprised with our main man, Russell Morgan. Russell, What's how we doing? <laughs> doing good. Just got caught up in a little bit of that LA traffic, but otherwise <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good. How you guys doing? Brandon, go. it's good to see you, man. Good to see you too, buddy. And uh, in case people don't know, see now when we built a new little backdrop where Russell did uh, go in the old school colors there, the the Love it. The, the purple and, and yellow there fits perfectly with us three. It wasn't really working well with just Joe and I, so now glad you came it. in and out. Now it's spot on. It's <laughs> spot on there. So uh, obviously you can see we're talking about depth scoring and, and how this team is built. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more track meets this month um, and, and to where is that just kind of a – 
we're going to have to live with these types of games where it's going to be five, four or, Hey, we're down four to one, but we're never out of it. We could see a team, you know, push it to OT. Is that just the new Kings? Is that what we're seeing this month? Is this, is this a season long kind of prediction for how this offense is going to function? This could be a season long thing. I mean, I said the other day, we're long past the three, two games from the Daryl Sutter era. I mean, I'm pretty sure we, we talked at the beginning of the, before the season started that, I mean, if you're a betting guy, you might as well bet all the overs of all the Kings games. You're probably a pretty rich guy if you had already. But, I mean, 27 goals scored in six games, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of offense. And, of course, with all the question marks coming into the season in terms of goaltending and, and with some of the kind of, to quote McClellan, a lot of stupid mistakes that had been happening to start the year that we – we kind of saw a little bit last year at the beginning of the year, those have kind of crept in to the game, which is hopefully those get fixed. But when you have an offense like the Kings have, where you're able to score four five, six goals a night, I guess those are a little bit more forgiven. But like, like I said, you hope to see those cleaned up a bit as the season pro- progresses. Now with the way they're scoring now, Tom Cruise comes in here and asks, uh, can you see Kopitar being a point-per-game player with how this team is? I know we all predicted Fiala to be that guy this year, but can Kopi in, in, in the father time, can he beat it one more you know, one more time and, and be that point-per-game player this season? I think so. I mean, I think a lot of it is predicated on just how his line mates do as a whole. I mean, Quentin Byfield, kind of off to a slow start, I would say. Um, Adrian Kempe, I mean, you can definitely say he's off to a slow start just by what he did last year. But I would expect Kopitar to still be up around 65-plus points, maybe hover around 70. I think asking him to be a point-per-game player is probably not what the, this team needs. He just needs to be that typical two-way centerman that, that Kopitar has always been. If he gets 65-plus points, totally fine with that. When you have the offense down the line, like we talked about with the depth, when you have Kevin Fiala, Pierre-Luc Dubois, I mean, even Trevor Moore is starting to pick it up like like Joe had predicted he would. I mean, it's it's not really a, ne- a necessity to have Andre Kopitar be that point-per-game player. I mean, it would be great, yeah. But I, I think there's a lot of offense that could be found in, on other ways in this lineup. I probably would have said no at the start of the – or before the season, and I would still say I would lean to the no on this, that I would take the under if he plays 82 games and it's going to be – you know, more closer to like 75, as Russ says. But, you know, he, he's he's putting up some good points at the start of the season here, and he his line mates haven't gotten off the off you know, off to a blazing start in terms of their production, anyways. So, I mean, I suppose if if once Kempe eventually heats up, and if Byfield ever finds the back of the net consistently, that maybe there could be something to it. But I, I do think Russ is right. You're probably looking at somebody more in the 70 to 75 range, which he's been that for most of his career. Yeah. So let's, let's get into this next topic here. And, and it's uh, it's kind of an interesting topic and it's going to be called stats versus tape. So what we've seen on the screen and what the stats are telling us and do they go in the same direction or they go in opposite directions. And this could be a linemate. This could be a specific player uh, and kind of digging deep into and where we're going. I know the stat man, as we, as I call him here, Joe, you're going to get us started here, man. So where are you seeing the, the stats and the tape and how do they differ? Maybe? Well, so far, I mean, I, I think anyways, the Kings as a team 
have looked have looked pretty good overall i would say i know some of the results early on have been a little shaky um but when you know i look at where they're at from like an expected goals uh standpoint uh they're first in the league so i'd say that's pretty good and i think in large part of that is because they're doing a pretty good job as they historically have done of limiting high danger chances. You know, that's the biggest reason I think that the Kings could come into this season with the goaltending duo that they have is because they don't give up a lot of dangerous chances and that's continued. So from a team aspect, I kind of think it's actually been, I would imagine, I guess I don't know, perhaps people in the comments, if they have, have some thoughts. I mean, I don't think that, I think the people's, the concern for most people right now is goaltending. Um, I don't think that anything has been alleviated there. Um, and I would say that that still is, is fair. Like the, the, the save percentage is not very good right now, even despite the fact that Kings are not giving up, um, very many dangerous chances. So, um, from a team aspect, um, I, I do think that, that they're off to a good start. The record is probably maybe underwhelming for what I think has been a decent start. There's been some sloppiness, but that's going to happen at the start of a season. Um, you know, individually or line wise, we can certainly, you know, talk about um, some, some players and some things that, that, you know, are happening, but from an overall team standpoint, I would say it's, it's things are going pretty good. Well, you brought it up a little bit in the, in the group chat, and this is why I got to this topic was you brought up some stats about Trevor Lewis. And I thought, it was interesting because the recency bias is that, you know, Trevor Lewis is back. He's the, he, you know, uh, he's helping this team out. We already, we, we spent 20 minutes talking about depth scoring. Now the fourth line is, is firing mm-hmm. all cylinders, but the advanced stats are selling you something different than maybe what the, what the tape is. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, it's obviously, there's a couple of things. It's obviously important to remember it's a small sample. We have six games worth of, worth of, you know, information. So it's not a lot, but the other side of that coin is, is we really don't have six games. We have two full seasons. You know, we talked about this trade when it or the signing, when it happened, we have two full seasons of his data in Calgary, where he was objectively probably their worst forward um, for two years. So, I mean, I, I kind of hate this topic, frankly, because he's a feel good story because Everybody loves Trevor Lewis. I love Trevor Lewis, right? I just think if the, if he wasn't a king 10 years ago, they wouldn't sign him because I just, you know, and every number that I've looked at and three different sites, you could look at however you want. It just hasn't been good <laughs> from a from a possession standpoint, from an expected goal standpoint, from a relative possession standpoint, from a relative expected goal standpoint, from a Corsi against expected goals against you look at the performance of the team when he's on the ice versus when he's not on the ice, virtually every single player on the roster performs better possession and expected goals away from him with the exception, ironically of Drew Doughty, who happens to be his best friend, which is kind of hilarious to me Uh, (laughs) fitting, I guess. And and I hate to talk. Like I just, I hate the topic because it's like, I don't want to be the guy sitting here like bashing Trevor Lewis. I like the guy. It's just, I don't understand what I'll say this. I don't think the Kings and I thought it was a little funny because he scored the other day and there's, you know, there was some, you know, maybe his agents and he's got agents in in the Twitterverse that are like, aha, see, he is good. It's like, okay, he's going to get his 15 points. If you play 80 games, he's going to pick up 15 to 20 points. 
obviously. I didn't, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to score zero goals and get zero assists. It's just, if we're looking at it objectively and I try. Which is the whole point of this. I try my hardest and it's very difficult to be a fan of a team, a fan of the Kings, a fan of Trevor Lewis, who was such an important piece to the Kings lineup a decade ago and have to now say, guys, if we look at this objectively, there's better options. Like there wasn't, a, this wasn't really a route that you had to go, but, but, but here's what, here's what I think. I don't think the Kings care. I think the Kings didn't sign Lewis and maybe to a lesser extent, England, we can sort of talk about that in a different aspect, I guess, but I don't think they signed Lewis to be like for his on ice performance. Cause the Kings aren't a stupid organization. I think they're pretty smart. They signed him for the intangible stuff, right? They signed him for locker room. They signed him for leadership. They signed him for camaraderie. They didn't sign him for on ice. So I think they don't care if his on ice performance, his on ice play, his, his impacts, uh, which at the moment are all negative. I don't think they care as long as the team is successful and he's not like outwardly like tanking the roster, which he's not, I wouldn't say he's doing that then I don't think they care. I think they knew what they were getting when they signed him and they signed him for a reason. It's the same reason. Like it's the idea anyways, like Toronto has no business having Ryan Reeves in their lineup, but they brought him in for the, not for his play, but for the intangible stuff. Now, obviously what Lewis is bringing intangible wise is a little bit different than Reeves, but same idea. Like, I don't think he was brought in to be like, you know, a, a, a positive impact player on ice. I, I, I genuinely, I don't think that they can have thought that. I will so, say, I think he's doing, I don't know if he's doing a great job on the penalty kill, but the team seems to be doing better on the penalty kill and he's sure. getting a lot of time on ice. That's kind of the main focus point. But I mean, I kind of agree with you. I think a lot of people were just wondering like, why didn't Jared Anderson don't give that spot? Why isn't, Alex Turcotte, why'd you waste Sam Fagimo for instead of or when instead of with signing Trevor Lewis? So I, I get those arguments. And that's where I kind of like I, I feel that where you have a player like Jad who's putting the time and effort and like, okay, now there's finally that roster spot available, but oh, here comes Trevor Lewis that hasn't really performed so well in ice in the last few years, and now he's kind of taking that spot. But it's kind of like you don't really know. That's kind of more of a hypothetical hypothetical situation. If it, let me ask you this: If Trevor Lewis wasn't a LA King Cup champion, w- would they have signed him, and or would they have gone after a? De- would they have addressed that spot? Would they were they looking to fill fourth line winger? They didn't want to fill it from within. They didn't want to fill it with a prospect. They wanted to fill it with a veteran. Do you think that was going to be the case, regardless if it was Lewis or somebody else? To answer your first question, I would say no. If he wasn't a king, I don't think they would have signed him. But to answer your second question, I think they were looking for depth, okay. a depth piece. And that's more specifically to help with maybe the penalty kill. And that's, like I mentioned, that's what Trevor Lewis kind of specializes in or that's what he's been his entire career. So I'll say that. And and to kind I, of – I would say I would say no and no. Yeah. And and I, I think – Joe, and I, I kind of agree with you. I've been watching uh, the the Wrexham documentary on, on – Yeah. On, on Hulu, fantastic. And they brought they brought in this guy Foster, who's a forty year old goalie, and the other goalie has only lost two games all season. But they brought this guy in mid season. He started his career in Wrexham. He's a uh, like an English phenom or whatever in his prime. But they brought him in for his intangibles as well as he can 
he can be significant enough in in the goal. But he brought him to push him over the top. And I think Joe, you the reason you're 100 correct in the reason they brought him in is that they believe that what he does outside of his play is going to be enough to push the consistency of that bottom six into a more permanent area. And when it comes time for playoff hockey. Yeah. I think that's as simple as that. Like I genuinely don't think that they're overly concerned about his on ice play, unless it becomes like so detrimental, which again, I I don't think that that's the case. Um, You know, then I think they're fine with it, especially if the team is, is winning. You know, I will say this. I mean, if we're, I mean, come playoff time, I'd probably rather have a player like Trevor Lewis in the lineup over Jared Anderson Dolan or well, young Alex Turcotte. That's that's today today you would, but if you if if yeah. hypothetically you had a season's worth of Turcotte, say, you may think different. True, but you're Very right. True. Like I I get, and again, the whole experience. It just it depends. Like, do you are do you care or do you put weight or stock into you know locker room leadership? That which, by the way, as somebody who has played obviously not at that level. I currently coach. I do appreciate that. I struggle with how to measure it um, when what we have available to us publicly anyways, I know there's private metrics as well that teams have that are not, you know, available to us. You know, it's hard for me to look at the publicly available data and be like, Oh, you, Seems like a miss of a of a of an opportunity, but if the team's like, yeah, but he the boys love him. He's in the room. Great, calming leadership. You know, talk to some younger guys. So again, I, that's the direction that they want to go. I get it. I, it's not. I don't have to agree with it, but I yeah. I, I get it. So Russ, you know, Joe's already brought up that the stats kind of back what the team is doing as a, as a whole. We've talked about Trevor Lewis. Is there a player or a line that maybe the stats align with what we're seeing, or maybe they kind of diverge off of what the tape is throwing out there? Well, it's funny because not even to focus on a player or a line, I want to focus on the whole team. And I want to look at the high danger chances against. And if you've watched the, the first six games so far, I mean, to me, it surprises me to think that the Kings are actually first in the league and giving up the fewest high danger chances against per 60, which is that caught me off guard. You, you watched the game, especially the game, this last game against right. Arizona, where it just yeah. seemed like they were getting chances left and right. And to be honest with you, if it weren't for Phoenix Copley performing at the level he was, that game probably would have been like five, five, six, five at some point. So that kind of caught me off guard. And, and that's something that I guess when you have two of the top pairs that we've talked about with Mikey Anderson and Drew Doughty and Gavrikov and Roy, those two, I mean, I highlighted Gavrikov and Roy. I can highlight them again. I just think they're going to be one of the best defensive pairs in terms of analytics from an analytical standpoint in the NHL, not in terms maybe of production, but just limiting the chances against while they're on the ice. They've always been a high, I guess, shot attempt shared uh, pair when they when they first came, when Gavrikov first came over last season, and they're continuing it this year. The, the thing that I can say maybe might be a little disappointing and maybe what we kind of expect is they're, they're one of the worst teams in terms of 5v5 save percentage. But then you look at, like, they're like the fourth worst team. And the other three teams below them, the Minnesota Wild, Edmonton Oilers, and Calgary Flames. So that's the thing that we, we, look, we talked about coming into the year is like, yeah, 
the Kings don't maybe have the best goaltending, but if you look at the Pacific Division as a whole, no team does. Look at the Oilers right now. They're falling apart. Same thing with the Cavalry Flames. So that's why when you have this offense that the Kings have and you just limit as many high-danger chances against like they seem to be doing, I think the goaltending will eventually kind of come to form. And we're seeing Talbot the last few games play a little bit better. Copley had a better game. You want to see a little bit little bit better performance from him too, but going forward. But I, I think if that continues in terms of limiting all those high-danger chances, I think we'll, we'll see – um, some better goaltending because of it. Yeah, it's almost like a basketball team that doesn't let you shoot from inside the paint and like, hey, like shoot a bunch of threes. If you make them, you will we'll take the loss. But most of the time, you yeah. know, we'll we'll take the stats that you know in a, that are end up being in our favor. Joe, like, can a team? Obviously, the they're they we said they were running gun when we said the depth scoring, and they're limiting the high danger chances from uh from what they're trying to do in in the zone exits with what we talked about with the type of defenseman that you like when you limit high danger chances, obviously the pucks usually go towards the corners. Have the defensive, the defenseman done a good job at that zone exits in your, in your mind that kind of limit the high danger chances. And then they're able to escape the zone. I think they've done a good job for the way the Kings want to do it. You know, this again, the defensemen that the Kings have are not exactly, you know, the, the, they're not known for being great puck movers that's not their forte like you think matt roy gavrikov mikey anderson andreas anglin these aren't guys that are are smooth with the puck or great with the puck in terms of making quick plays or, or these first passes necessarily but that's not always how the kings want to do it anyways if as long as they get that puck to the neutral zone bang the wingers can go and they want to create off the rush um so i think they're doing a good enough job in that sense i you know, zone exits is something where, you know, Corey Schneider on all three zones tracks it. It's something that uh, if if anybody wants to uh, replace my regular job salary, I would love to do that because that is one of the things I'd love to track is zone exits and zone entries and stuff. But um, part of that is, is again, it's how the Kings want to do it. Like the Kings as a system, you know, they, they may not be a team – that wants to necessarily make these tic-tac-toe plays out of the zone because they're not built that way, right? They want, they're comfortable saying, all right, I got the puck. I get it. I'll make sure I can get it to the neutral zone somehow, whether that's just throwing it to space and letting somebody skate into it. They may be okay with that. Where you look at a team like a Colorado, they're going to pass their way right around you because the defensemen they have are just, that's their strength. They're significantly better in that sense. So, you know, the zone exit stuff can be a little, I don't want to say misleading because I don't think that's fair, but it, it could be system oriented too, right? Of how the coach and how the team wants to, wants to do it. And if we're being honest, like the, that's just not the way the Kings defensive defensemen are built. That's just not their, what they do. It's not their strength. So they're playing to the strength of the defenseman, I would say. Yeah. I mean, it's the one, three, one system, right? Right. I mean, this is the team that's going to get a lot of their chances just off counterattacks. I mean, they lead. Yeah. yeah. I think, what yeah. was it, Mike Kelly that shared that graphic the other day that was the Dubois line and I believe the Kovatar line that were like had in total 18 rush chances to zero against. Yeah. So they're going to force you to dump the puck in and then they're going to go. And yeah. that's exactly what we're seeing. I mean, that, I think, and some of that NHL edge data which is a lot of it we're still trying to figure out. And there's maybe 
not too much to look into. But the one thing I looked at was the the zone time, and, and the Kings were one of the, the fewer teams in terms of percentile or lower teams in terms of percentile in offensive zone time, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense because they're, they're just going to be counterattacking. Yep. They're not going to be in the zone that, lot, that often. They're going to be spending yep. a lot of time in their own zone, getting pucks out, trying to play that 1-3-1 one, one system where that, that puck's going to get dumped in. And then they're just going to, like I said, they're just going to turn and go. So yeah, I, I think this is a team that's going to be figuring out a lot. They're going to get a lot of their scoring chances from those counterattacks. And 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 I'd say that I, I saw that too from, and, and I know a lot of people are like, well, look at, you know, look at the Kings. They're limiting the rush chances. Of course they're limiting the rush chances. They play one three one That's <laughs> that. If you're not limiting rush chances, you've got a problem. If the Kings are not a top three to five team at worst in, in terms of limiting rush chances, we got a problem. They, their whole system is designed on limiting rush chances, right? So I, I see that, and that's great, but that's what exactly what they're supposed to do. That's how they're built. So I don't look at that and be like, holy cow, this is incredible. It's like, no, this is exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I think they're just more effective at the counterpunch. And uh, UFC sure. great UFC great Chuck Liddell, he built his entire career off it, right? He's just he's just trying to dodge the head and weave, and then he'll and he throws his haymaker. And I think you're seeing the Kings are are doing just that. They're like, hey, we'll, we'll wear some pucks off the chest. This, this game, and then we're just going to try to slingshot out of this and, and get the rush chances. Um, and it's it's been it's been pretty interesting on how the team's been functioning there. And you're going to see some games where the puck's not going to go our way. We're not going to get the shots. And then other games where we're going to put up five or six goals. I think that's just going to be this team this this whole year. So uh, before I get going into into my uh, my little stat versus tape, Ja uh, Lee coming in here. Put your likes up, fellas. We need more people in here. Appreciate that uh, for helping yeah. us out. Uh, and what's who's always helping us out is our sponsor here at DraftKings. The NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new members with an offer that's even stronger. Just bet five bucks on any game this week to score two hundred dollars instantly in bonus bets. That's DraftKings isn't stopping here. All customers can take advantage of the sweetener every game day in October. Uh, it, you know, I pulled up the NHL betting odds and it said NFL, but you can bet tomorrow night. Kings are, uh, with the minus one and a half goal favorite is plus 180. If you just want to take the money line, negative 142, uh, over under is six and a half goals. Uh, as Russ has been saying, uh, you might want to take a look at those there. I uh, can't give legal betting advice, so don't come at me there, but you know, take a look at the odds of DraftKings always getting you the best. Uh, for all your sports betting needs. Uh, again, use code TH, uh, THPN, DraftKings Sportsbook. Get in the game, game day greatness. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code THPN. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets. When you bet on five on the NFL, that's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown can be yours. So I want to get into uh, work. You know, obviously, I've only been watching a little bit of the last two games and, you know, seeing people online, uh, you know, calling, uh, calling, um, <laughs> calling Kempe an empty net merchant. Right. And uh, you, you don't end up being that way with 40 goals. But it's but it's been but it's been pretty interesting for me because there was a comment made uh, in the last broadcast that I'll get into and why this kind of brought it up for me, the stats versus tape. Uh, what. Kempe has looked pretty good for me, but the puck hasn't been going in on him. He hasn't been getting those rush chances where he's sniping it in. And I'm going to um, bring in this, these graphs that my buddy Joe here uh, sent me here. So if I pull this up here, let me put away the, the banner there so everybody can see a little bit better. 
So with Kempe, you look at the five on five shot chances here, right? So and sorry, real real quick, these are from Hockey Viz. Hockey Viz uh, is the website. Uh, Micah Blake McCurdy on Twitter uh, at Ineffective Math does a really really good job. I actually like a lot of the visuals that are on uh, on his site. So just as a just making sure we're you know credit to who uh, I certainly as hell didn't come up with this. So Hockey <laughs> Hockey Viz is, is where it comes from. Pre- appreciate that, Joe. You got to give credit yeah. where credits due. Uh, so with Kempe, 63 minutes, the goal is four per 60 is 3.09, which is plus 10%, uh, you know, compared to the rest of the roster. Where it looks here is when I sh- put up the without, the main thing you see here in the middle is right in front of the net frame. That is about as red as you can possibly be. And what Kempe is going to do and what we've noticed is he skates up the side, creates and pulls defenders to his way and allows other line mates, Byfield and, and, and Kopitar, to clean up pucks around the net if he doesn't score off the first chance. So you're pulling defenders out of the center of the ice. And as you see here where my little – I don't know if you can see my mouse, but right in the center in front of the uh, the goal there. And then off to the left because he normally skates up that right side. So you're getting the rebounds there, and you're getting a lot of secondary chances from the center of the ice and, and up the left side. So Kempe, even though he hasn't had any goals that have been five-on-five five or non-empty net goals, he's still creating – or the lines that he's creating on are creating high percentage chances where it matters in front of the net and on and off to the left. Now, if I go here to the, the other one without him on there, let me put that up here, flip it over a little flipper Oh, where'd all that red go? Where'd all that red go fellas? Look at that's about as ice cold as you can get in the center of the ice. So he's creating so many chances inside the crease uh, in high danger areas because of his speed and in mismatches that he's creating on the outside. Uh, I, I don't know about you fellas. I don't like shots from way out here. Where, where's all the red in the center? And I think that's what Kempe does. And the stats haven't really come his way, but I believe that he's creating a lot of these chances and the puck sh- should fall um, with a little bit more puck luck next month. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I, I looked at, Kempe's stats just right now as we started talking about him he's actually got a higher shot attempt per 60 than he had the last two years so that's something to keep in mind I mean I I, I wonder the, the one thing I do wonder though is what's going to happen with Kempe on the power play because I've noticed and I, I asked McClellan about this is like do you think I asked him point blank do you think teams are now going to start to take away Adrian Kempe's shot on the power play and his answer was they should and just like other he said just like we are just like the Kings strategized to take away like Alex Ovechkin shot one timer on the power play. We'll probably be seeing other teams doing that to Adrian Kempe. This isn't a secret anymore. He's a 40 goal scorer in the NHL. The Kings had a top five power play in the NHL last year. And a lot of that was because of Adrian Kempe's one timer or his wrist shot from the circle. So that'll be something to watch to see how teams defend him and how they'll be able to get other looks uh, or Kempe will be able to generate other looks on the power play too. Yeah, and I think so. I, I'm with you, Randon. I think Kempe has been fine. I think that line as a whole has been pretty good. Um, I'm sure Byfield is a totally separate conversation that we can have or we cannot have it. I'll leave that to you guys, I guess. <laughs> but um, I do think Kempe is playing. I think he's playing well. I think the goals have obviously haven't come yet. Um, but I think you're right, Randon. I think the, the metrics back it up. I think his play backs it up. I think he's played very well. I think the goals will come. Um, to Russ's point, for me, I think this all goes back to, you know, like what Russ had said and McClellan talked about too, is not having that righty down low because, you know, 
it's on the power play, right? On the power play, yes. Thank yeah. you. Because Kempe really is that trigger man on the right circle for the one timer. And so in order to get that trigger man, it's probably, I mean, it can come from Dowdy at the top, but that's really predictable. And that's really not getting the goalie moving side to side enough. That's probably got to come from Kevin Fiala on the left side, maybe Kopitar. But you also, you lose a little bit of that by having it be a lefty Dubois down low, just because he, you know, his strong side is going to be Kempe's side. And you'd prefer his strong side to be the other side. You can kind of lull, lull some things to sleep when you've got, uh, Dubois, or excuse, well, I guess it could be Dubois now, but you had Arvidsson and you had Velarde last year being able to make the little triangle play uh, to the bumper. That's just a little less of a possibility now. Things are just a little bit different. And I saw last game, it seemed at least to me in my eyes anyways, that the Kings were doing way more movement off the puck. You know, there's a lot more switches, a lot more, you know, you saw Dowdy move, you saw Kopitar come up, you saw Kempe up high at times, really a lot of shifting around of the players. And I think my guess is that's by design because, you know, McClellan talked about it, about having no righty down low as well. And that, you know, they're trying to find different looks. They're still getting used to that because they're used to having that righty down low and that's not there now. So I think that movement that we saw with the players off the puck, creating different looks, trying to open up different passing lanes. I think they did that. I Like, I don't think the power plays looked all that bad, to be honest with you. I mean, I know it's, it's you know, not clicking at the percentage that it was last year, but. 18.5, but the penalty kills up at 87. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the the power play has looked maybe overall better than they've performed, like better than the 18%. Like I, I, I don't think it's, I don't hate the way it's looked right now. And I thought it looked pretty good against Arizona at times. I think it was Boston. The first period, I think it was, was it the first period against Bob. They lived in the yeah. zone. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I thought they, they looked really Yeah. So like, and, and they moved it around. They had some good chances. So I, I, I still, I, but I think all this to say, I'm not worried about Kempe right now. I think he's playing well. I think he's getting chances. They're just not falling right now. Is the loss of Victor Arvidsson understated based on what he was bringing down low on the power play? Because that's where he was stationed. He was there righty. Yeah, he was. He came into play. I mean, listen, Victor Arvidsson does so much for this team at five. You know, five on five. He was obviously excellent. Um, and and. He was obviously like we talked about after the Velarde trade, you know, when he was gone. So one of the first things I thought about was like he was their down low guy, their righty down low, and they're losing that. So who's it going to be? Obviously, Arvidsson was the logical choice. And you saw was one of the preseason games. Now, the play went, I think it was from it was either Dowdy. It might have been Fiala, but now I'm drawing a blank. It was a while ago. Makes a pass down to the left corner, to the bottom of the left circle to Arvidsson who, again, as that righty, immediately gets it and fires it cross-seam the other way back to Kempe, who hammered it home on a one-timer. The play doesn't exist anymore. It can't exist right now. So there is just a difference. And, yeah, I think the loss of Arvidsson, you know, is is a big deal in a number of ways, and the power play included. I know there's a there's a righty that Russell's pretty fond of. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, <laughs> Alex Laferriere. Do you just, is it time to put him on the power play? I mean, he's been on the second unit. I don't think he was on the second unit. Last game, I could I be wrong, but either. I don't. I mean, I, I'm not going to be so much of like a total homer and say, "Yeah, just put him on the first power play unit." But yeah, I don't know. Maybe 
it's crossed my mind. I'll say that, that. that that's that's Russell for yeah, put him in there. That's the that's, reason. <laughs> the reason I'll say no is only because at least in it, we're early days here, like our in terms of our getting a real feel for who Alex Laferriere is as a player. He clearly looks as somebody who loves to shoot the puck, right? So that's not to say he can't be a playmaker down low. But I do think you need to have that guy down low. He needs to be an effective passer and a quick decision maker. You know, I, I'm open to seeing it, but I also don't think you need to go that route quite yet because I don't think the unit with Dubois down low has shown to be ineffective. So I think if it gets to that point and it gets to a situation where where Kempe is not getting the looks, because think about it, like there's no way Kempe can get a pass from Dubois in a – one-time situation like he could have from Arvidsson, the way the Kings set it up. So if it becomes an issue, I'm open to it, but I, 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 there's reasons to maybe, to maybe not do it right away. And I, and I think that it's looked okay right now with, uh, with Dubois. If this team hadn't scored 27 goals already on the season, I think we'll be asking, but the, in terms of offense production, I think we're fine. The well, power play, if you tend to. And there's no, been really no, shuffling of the lines at all. I mean, you had the suspension early in the season, of of course, to Kaliev, but once he got back, it's been stable and it's hard to argue. I mean, the way that the way they're going, like really the only line that hasn't kind of production wise has been the Kopitar line. That was the best line of the season last year. So they're in a decent spot, I would say, in terms of how things are going. And I don't think there needs to be a shakeup of the lines uh, personally. Excuse me for being Kylo Ren and just wanting more, you know. So, um, <laughs> I, I, interesting in why I also think Kempe is 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 destined here is is I wanted to bring this up a little quick topic, and it was something that interesting that was said on the last broadcast in that Kempe is using advanced data or advanced metrics to 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 help his game as a scorer, and so where he's taking his shots from, where he's getting the looks, how fast he has to shoot from each position. Where is he setting up and his injuries and all that kind of stuff like that are dictating how he's playing with his linemate. Obviously, now we're in, you know, a little over two seasons with Kopitar, almost at a full season with the byfield edition. But like, where is he getting all these looks here? Not only the power play, but five on five and the advanced data and using that to figure out where he needs to be and how people are playing him. Russ, you brought up the point as defenses are going to change how they play the Kings on the power play based on a 40 goal score. So in order to stay ahead of the game, he's using metrics to counteract what teams are doing to him and how he can still be an effective scorer, not only 5 of 5 but on the power play. Yeah, I think the one thing that actually when I said you want to talk about this is when I looked back to when Kempe just all of a sudden blossomed into this, I think it was two years ago when he had that 30-goal kind of breakout mm-hmm. season. And a lot of it was just because he shot the puck more. He, he had, in two thousand. From 2000, uh, the season of 2020 and 2021, he had eight shots per 60. That next season, when he got 30 plus goals, he was at 10.2 shots per 60. So I don't know if it was just more or less just, hey, Adrian, you have this shot, you have that one timer, let's just see you start shooting the puck more. Or if it was more about, hey, where can I go and pull and to get the those opportunities to put the puck on that? A lot of that has to do probably with playing with Kopitar and I'm more steady basis. I think that does too, but I've, I've, I've noticed a lot more with Kempe in the last two seasons with him, him taking the puck down the ice and rifling that shot, Yeah, you know, like, and, and, and being able to hit it. So I think, 
his ability has gone up. I think that his willingness to shoot has gone up. And I think when you get into that kind of point in, in, in your career now, then you got to start when they start falling, then you, then you have to keep that up. Like when you get to a certain level, you got to be able to find any edge that you can to stay at that level. And I think it's good that he's, he's diving in and, and using the data that's available to him in order to, to keep up this level of production. And, you know, to that point, I think there's something that gets lost sometimes in the whole conversation around analytics. And that's, you know, and I'm somebody obviously that, that uses them heavily and I believe in them and, and, and I trust them for the most part. They're never perfect. They're never going to be a hundred percent. Nothing is, um, you know, and teams don't but, have analytics departments for nothing. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> but, but I think it's really important because, and I, I, players it's not their job like there may be players you know Kempe talked about it that are interested in it you know and that's perfectly fine but it is not the player's job to know or understand what their analytics really even are that's the coach's job and the develop and the player's development staff job to put them in the best position to be successful based on the data that they have so when we're talking about players or I'm talking about Trevor Lewis you know he may not have a clue what, what his, and he shouldn't really care if he's, you know, he's, well, he certainly shouldn't care what the hell I say. That is for sure. But really like a lot of these players, like go play your game, go play. Like if there's something that is, that is tangible that a coach can say, Hey, you're doing this because I'm seeing this or whatever fine and make those tweaks. But it is not always the players that, it's not ever the players that that need to be focused on the analytics that I, you know, unless they're interested in it and like the way Kempe is, don't even bother. It's up to the coaches, put them in the best positions to, you know, to succeed. Yeah. I'm not saying that he, every kid needs to know what his course he is, but it's nice to know how people are defending you and what they're doing to yeah. try to take away what, sure. what you do best. And so it's, you know, kind of that counteract in, in, in that type of thing. And, I, I think it's it's just interesting how, you know, you're looking at like it reminds me of it's I, what I heard uh, in the in the baseball World Series, right? The Phillies have what is that Castellanos in right field? He's yep. like the worst fielder in all of the MLB, and they shade him to right center to where he's maybe thirty feet from the center fielder because the only direction that he can catch a fly ball is forward <laughs> and to his glove side. So like they use the analytics to help their team mm-hmm. out, and I think it's something interesting about where the game is going and all these new advanced stats and slow motions and hot and cold targets and all this kind of stuff is how is this going to develop the game into where, Hey, maybe, Hey, this team plays me this way or this, as we get more data, this team plays me that way. And, and, and I, I, we need to be here in this situation on the power play because this is what they try to do here. And I think it's going to be interesting. And obviously the data set, is going to get larger and larger and larger the more minutes and, and that he plays. But the fact that he's taking an, an initiative to it and, and seeing how people are trying to take away your game and how you adapt to it, I just find it – I found it interesting that he's open to that yeah. and using it as an active tool to be a, a more effective goal scorer. For sure, and kind of piggybacking off the conversation about the data, obviously Russ alluded to the NHL edge data that's out there. And, you know, I, I mean – it's certainly interesting stuff. I mean, I think it's fun, you know, bar talk, who's the fastest skater or whatever, but I don't think there's a whole lot to glean from that necessarily. I think <clears throat> on its own without context, I couldn't care less 
how fast somebody skates or how hard somebody shoots. However, if you were to tell me that I pick a player, Adrian Kempe, we're talking about, if Adrian Kempe has added two miles an hour to his speed burst on a consistent basis, like, okay, well, maybe he, maybe something happened in the offseason. Maybe he did some different training in the offseason and he's got a step quicker and he's faster. Or conversely, maybe somebody is a step or two miles an hour, like slower consistently. Well, maybe he's hurt. Like, is there a reason why he's that much slower than he was a month ago? Yeah. So, that, you know what I'm saying? So stuff like that can be, and I, I, I'm, I have no idea if there's any validity to that, but I, what I'm saying is, I guess fast skater doesn't make you a good skater. Hard shot doesn't make you a good shot. You know, always understand that there's got to be some context with some of this stuff, but that said, it's fun. It's interesting. And it's just scratching the surface, I'm sure, of the data that we'll eventually get from from the NHL. Yeah, I'm sure there's a whole lot more. Yeah. We've gotten a little bit of data so far this season, and our next topic is is P.L. Dubois' early impressions. Obviously, the big acquisition. We have a couple games under our belt, going buck wild in the preseason. Now we have some regular content coming in here. What have been your early impressions of, of – of PL and, and what he's brought and how that line has functioned. I know we know the main pair was going to be him and Fiala. How do they look together? And then, and just kind of take it to let it blossom however it may. And I'll, and I'll start with Russ there. It's, it's weird because when it, when you see the highlights and when that trade first happened, you want to look back at, at what PL Dubois is as a player. He comes across as like this big, punking power forward who's willing to drive to the net. And it's funny because all of that's true, but then you watch some of the goals that he scored, like that goal against Minnesota where he just kind of kicked it mm-hmm. and he got a stick on it. Like it's even it, it becomes even more surprising to me. Like, dude, this is a big, big dude. Like this is a like you some of the reverse hits he's doing, like I, I knew Dubois was a big, big forward. I didn't know he was this big, to be honest with you. He's He's, and he's only going to get bigger is, is the thing that I'm going to love about it. So, I mean, early impressions, been great. Obviously, three goals so far. That line's been, I think, one of the better lines in terms of the Kings from a production standpoint. So, I mean, the early impressions look good. I mean, you can't – I mean, for those that maybe were worried about the trade or or thought the Kings maybe give up too much, I, I think he's proving a lot of those people wrong because – some some of the, the plays that he's making, it's not just like the goals. It's the it's the hits. It's the reverse hits. It's the willing to take the puck to the net, like that kind of stuff that was missing so much from the Kings roster the last few years. I mean, and only just we're only seeing just the start of of this chemistry between him and Fiala. We always talk about how it's so hard to kind of acclimate yourself to the play style of Kevin Fiala. Well, P.L. Dubois acclimating himself pretty quickly. And those two have already had this chemistry start to blossom. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen when we get to game like 60, game 70 in the season and see how that chemistry um, grows throughout the year. So early impressions have been great. Uh, I think Dubois is only going to become a, a bigger fan favorite in L.A. as the time goes by. As advertised for me, just a thoroughbred out there, just an absolute horse. I mean, I think he's doing everything that the Kings could have wanted him to be doing. Um, he's third on the team in, in shot assists at five on five. He's second uh, in overall shot contributions at five on five. 
second only behind his line mate. And no, it's not Kevin Fiala who led the team in shot contributions last year. It is Russell's Alex LaFerriere who leads the team in shot contributions. So that team, that line is clicking right now. The one thing I'll say with that line is because we talked about with Dubois and Fiala, and I think we were originally talking about it with Kaliev is how is that line going to be defensively? Is it going to be, what's it going to look like? I will say they are a pretty high event line. Like they, they are not afraid to give up chances because they know they're going to get them. So that's not surprising. <laughs> I think almost any line that Kevin Fiala is on, I think that, and that's not the, I don't mean to, to shade him too hard on the defensive side, but I just kind of think like, like that's what it's going to be with that line. But more often than not, they're still, even though they may be high event, they're getting the better of those events. So, um, not anything that I'm concerned about it, uh, at this point with that. But, yeah, I, I think he's looked great, Rand. And I think, you know, has any has there been one tweet about how lazy he looks or how disinterested he looks or anything like that? N- no. I mean, I think he has, like I said, for me, he's been as advertised. This is exactly the type of player that I expected. So for being the – I mean, originally the most against this trade, and obviously I, I definitely came around. I, In the game and a half I've watched and the highlights, yeah. I've been very impressed. Uh, I think the main thing that stuck out to me is just, one, he's able to skate with Kevin Fiala at any time. So like his style is able to adapt to the rush style where he's been able to body people with one arm and, and score goals with the with one hand. And like he almost had another one the other night where he almost put it five-hole between the goalie uh, by just reaching it out and, and, and sticking it in there. And so I, I think you're looking at a guy who has had is more of a power four than I thought. Like I know he had his highlights were a lot of the gritty goals, but like you said like the reverse checks, the hits, being able to control the, the, the wall play uh, and adapt his style to, and which he said he would do. He said, I don't care who I play against. I'm going to adapt my style to be the most effective distributor if they need me to score, I'll score. If they need me to assist, I'll assist. And I think he's done a good job. And then that line can counter punch and get on the rush. That line can can cycle uh, with the best of them because Fiala will use his skating. PL will use his size uh, down there. And I think you know Laferriere has you know been a little bit of snake bitten with his with his shots. Finally got one the other night. And so with with that whole team right now, it's it's been kind of great to where PLs have adapted has adapted his style to fit Fiala. And Laferriere is just playing his game and he's being allowed to play his game and where you're looking at where Kempe earlier in his career was saying, Hey, like I was deferring to other players. And if Laferriere was ever to defer to anybody, I mean, point per game player in Fiala and a guy that has, has done it all in, in PL Dubois, that those would be the two guys to do it. And I think they're allowing the kid, he hasn't been shy to shoot, which is nice. Um, and, and they're just playing good hockey. And I'm, I'm fine with them being high event. This team's going to be high event, right? And so if if we're using this analogy for the Kings being counterpunchers, what better line to be a counterpuncher than a team, a line that can cycle, a line that can get on its horse, a line that has anybody who can take over and, and, and take the puck through multiple people to have one-on-one chances with the goalie. I really think it's going to be interesting to see, as you said, Russ, as this team or as this line gets more and more minutes together, you know, what will they kind of mold into? Is it, is it going to be only a counter punch? Is it going to be a line where, Hey, they're going to have multiple people doing multiple things. 
Um, you know, I think that his face-offs will only get better. I know there was a comment earlier in there that he was one for 14 against Minnesota. He openly said that he wants to get better at that at the beginning of the season, which I think that he's uh, obviously going to continue to try to do with two of the best in Kopitar and Janot. So for a guy who was, you know, obviously I came around, but all the stuff that I thought I was going to be worried about when it initially came down, uh, I'm no longer worried. Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time before this line just has a night where one of yep. those players has like a hattie or something like that. It's just a matter of time. They, they, according to Money Puck, they lead the Kings forward groups, forward lines, and expected goals for, and they've given up the most expected goals against. So again, that's expect that. I mean, this isn't going to be a you know a, a, a Selkie, Ajay Kopitar, Pierre Luc, or excuse me, uh, Philippe Deneau led line. There's going to be a little bit more of that. Of, of that kind of helter skelter out there. And I think in large part, you've got Dubois who is, you know, I think he's, I, I think he's maybe better than, than was talked about defensively, but he isn't to the level of somebody like a Kopitar or Dano, of course. But when you flank him with a rookie and Kevin Fiala, just do what you guys do. Just play your offense. Like it is what it is at that point. I think you kind of know, you know, and I'd actually be curious to know, and I I'll, I'll look at this while you guys go, because I would imagine that the Kings are going to probably play or try to play Gabrikov and Roy with that line as much as possible, because for obvious reasons, like that's their best <laughs> shutdown pair. We need, they, they're going to need some help out there. So, um, but all in all, I, I think that's fine. I, I got no problem with it. Get after it. It's funny because that's what this line is being asked to do. They're not being asked to be that shutdown line. Look at look at what this team had last year. Last year, it was the Kopitar line and the Nice line. And then after that, it was, take your guess, who's going to be available. We even had Fiala playing with Grunstrom and Kupari for a little while, and that line was clicking. And after that, the bottom six was just a mix of guys that they were trying to find some offense from. But now you have the Kopitar line, you have Deneau with Moore and Kaliev right now, and then you have PLD, Kevin Fiala, and Alex Laferriere. This The depth on this team, we already talked about depth scoring, but the depth on this team is just incredible right now. It's, it's That's why we I said at the beginning of the year, it's just going to be one of the deeper teams this team that the Kings have had in quite some time. And, and we're seeing We're seeing it right now. But just one quick note on, on Laferriere that you – you talked about Randon when he's playing with players like PLD and, and Fiala. I actually asked him about it after after the Boston game at a practice uh, the day after. And I said, like, hey, you're shooting at a, at a very high rate. Like, is this, like, something that's always been a part of the game or what's going on? He said, I've always kind of been, been a shooter ever since junior. And, and then he also mentioned, like, when you play with guys like Fiala and Dubois, you're kind of being looked at to be this – no, no hesitation. Hey, I mean, if I get the puck at a certain spot, I need to be throwing it on net, and that's kind of what we're seeing. I mean, Lafair, he's a smart player coming from Harvard. He's, he's, yep. you're seeing that hockey IQ come to play. So I think that's why this that fit with him and, and with Fiala and Dubois has been has been working really well. And another another thing that I thought was pretty funny that he mentioned to me after the Boston game where he scored his first goal against Boston. Of course, he grew up being a Bruins fan. I asked him, he's like, "Hey, what was it like playing against Marshan?" And he said, he said, you know, it's 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 always kind of cool when you're rooting for him, but when you're playing against him, it's not so fun. <laughs> so, I thought that was a hilarious comment. So but you yeah, know, I think that, that line is just it's just a matter of time before that line takes off. 
And I, and I want to talk about this a, a little bit more, the depth. You know, it's kind of been a theme of today, I think, the show anyways. But so much of the talk about the when they made the trade for Dubois was, wow, the Kings gave up a lot. And I had said, yes and no. They gave up quantity. I don't know how much quality they gave up. And that's not like – I know. I understand what I follow brings to the table. And I and I obviously am a big fan of Game Velarde's. But when you're getting a player the caliber of Dubois at the position that he plays, the Kings, this is why you build the depth that they have. And look at all the depth that we're talking about. And that is with losing Velarde, Ayafalo, Kupari, Arvidsson's hurt. Fagimo was lost to waivers. And we're still just talking about the depth of this team's roster. Like, so yeah, going back to that trade, it was a absolute no brainer of a trade. Like I, I can't even, there's a no brainer of a trade. Now, if, if people want to talk about the contract and the signing, that's a, I guess a little bit of a different part, but in terms of the assets traded, complete no brainer. You win down the middle. And the amount of depth. You win down the middle. Yeah, and the amount of depth that we're still talking about that this team has is is just further evidence of that. I mean, there's no, there's, no, there's no mistaking. Center. <laughs> yeah, there's no mistaking that it did put us in in a little bit of a cat bind, right? I mean, that's still that's still apparent. That's Fair. still there. That's Fair. that's not that's not going away. And whether you want to blame him or the Gavrikov signing or you know me earlier in the season before Trevor Moore you know made me crow the amount of money that he's getting, like wherever you want to point the blame. That they are in a cat bind, right? So would have that have changed? Would we have had a better goalie situation if we, you know, we paid, you know, one million less or what was that, you know, uh, two million less for for Velarde and, mm-hmm. and I follow, you know, who knows? We're not in that land though. And like you're seeing this line and what we saw out of the third line and and the fact that pretty much Fiala had to drag whoever he was playing with at all times last season. That's not the case anymore. Right. And so he's not having to dangle through seven people, even though he still does it uh, to get a goal. He, he can have and, and do different things. And I think that that line is only going to progress there. Um, that's funny that I like that Marshawn comment though, because you're looking at like the Bruins played the Blackhawks like twice in the first like two weeks and the amount of clips of Marshawn, like, like bringing welcoming Bedard into the league is just I was just cracking up, like just p- pigeonhole him against the the bench there. So yeah, uh, I remember it was like early part of that game, like Lucic took a run at him. <laughs> I was like, that must be such an eye opener. Like you've been rooting for this guy your whole life, and is all of a sudden trying to destroy you in the corner. Like that must have been a fun fun moment for him. Oh man, that's uh, that's kind of funny. So by the way, got- Joe, your your Calgary Flames are are the gift that keeps on giving. By the way. Uh, is like, anybody going to show up to the Heritage Classic this weekend? I'm wondering. There's no Connor McDavid. Are they just going to go out there? All is everyone going to show up with paper bags on their heads? Both fan bases will, I'm sure. Like of those future bets, I that one I feel the least good about. I, I'm San Jose. I might win that by like Christmas, um, but <laughs> Anna, and I feel pretty good about. I feel really good about that Anaheim one too. I so, think they're going to be fine. But. Let's let's get into let's get into that with because it kind of leads into the next topic, which is what does you know what do we want to see the rest of the month and in going into November from this team and maybe where can the the changes be made? Right now, the Kings are in third, uh, seven points at three, two, and one, sitting behind the Golden Knights who are undefeated and uh, the Vancouver Canucks, which uh, really nobody thought about. They're four, two, and zero, oh, so they have eight points there. But 
Ducks are right behind us. You know, Kraken Flames are struggling. Edmonton Oilers and San Jose Sharks were never even a thought. So with this team and how they're playing right now, um, you know, I, I think Kings fans would have liked to be a little bit better, but we're still in, in the playoff spot after one month or as of now. Where does this team need to make, you know, maybe some small tweaks to to see, uh, to capture some more uh, points going into November? It's, it's kind of hard because I don't know if there's necessarily small tweaks, but like I thought McClellan's stupidity comment was, was interesting. I'd like to see those mental lapses kind of go away. It's just pretty much like, like I mentioned earlier, it's what we saw at the beginning of last year, just overall good play throughout the game. And then all of a sudden you have that one moment where all of a sudden there's a turnover right in front of Cam Talbot or, or Phoenix Coppock. So just clean up those moments. But I also do think that this is a, a really good opportunity. The, the Kings need to take advantage of what's going on on in Edmonton and Calgary. Like I talked about, like there's just turmoil going on in, in, in Alberta right now. The Sharks are going to be terrible. The Ducks are, are going to be entertaining, but I think they're still going to be a kind of a bad team. Um, Vancouver is playing. They're playing pretty well. I, I wonder how consistent they'll be with that. But And the Golden Knights are just seem like there's no hangover with them. So <laughs> the Kings need to they need to pick up some points here. There's a big road trip coming up. They're going to Toronto, Ottawa, and, and Philadelphia, and then they wrap it up at, uh, in, in Vegas. So they play Vegas two of the next like seven games or so. So there's some big games coming up. So I, I hope the Kings can kind of get some points out of these. This uh, long road trip in these these tough opponents. Speaking of Alberta, I don't think they play either Alberta team till almost Christmas, which is kind of oh, well. odd. Um, yeah, the twenty third is when they play Calgary for the first time. Yeah, and I don't think they play Edmonton before that either. So it's pretty odd scheduling. Brandon, I think a couple of things. Um, I kind of agree with Russ that overall, I think, I, and I just think a lot of this is going to settle. Like I think we saw, and I think you're seeing this around the league too with some higher scores. I think we see that a lot at the early part of the season, defensive zone structure, all that stuff is kind of, it takes a little bit of, a little bit more time for that to come. So I think it's not a surprise when there's a lot more goals at the early part of the season. Um, but I think that's going to come. I, I trust that McClellan will have that sorted, you know, sooner than later. Um, like Russell, we saw this last year. It's, it's, you know, maybe not the exact problem, but it's, it looks pretty similar to our eyes that I that eventually got itself sorted, and I'm confident that it will again. The other thing is, you know, it seemed, and I don't know what your thought on this, Russ, if you agree with me on this, but I really, really, really did not like, like, they need to rotate these goalies. The Kings don't have a number one goalie. I, I don't understand, like, the so they split the first two games. Talbot wins in Winnipeg. They go back to Talbot in Minnesota. Okay. He wins again. They travel, they go back home and they got Talbot again against Boston. I can't disagree more with that. Now I'm not saying that Talbot, that's nothing against Talbot. He obviously won the two games prior and I don't think it was his fault that they lost to Boston, but the Talbot is not the, this team's number one goal. He's not playing 50 games to play him three games and five nights with travel across the board, I didn't understand that because you, Copley went if, you know, he ended up playing Tuesday, but there's a lot of like, hey, just keep riding Talbot. He's playing well. If he would have played Tuesday, Copley would have gone two weeks without a start. Can't have it. Cannot have it with these two goalies that they have right now. They've got to be rotated. They've got to be 
both playing and both fresh because unless one of them is, and I'm not even going to say running away with the starter's job because I don't want to ride either one. Unless one of them is just can't make a save for the life of them, you got to rotate these guys. Maybe if it's not a, a true every other game rotation, if it's like some guy may play a couple in a row, but for the most part, you got three games in five nights, two on the road. And the third one is you're going back to LA for a travel. Boy, I, I, I thought that was, uh, was too much to ask of Talbot. You know, again, you have to understand he's got these, what, 36 or whatever, th- you know, 37. He's had injury histories. And that wasn't the time to, to, to play him in that type of a stretch, in my opinion. I don't think there's there should – and I said it after one of the – I think it was – I wrote one of the post games, I think Minnesota, so I had to absolutely go to Talbot in Boston against Boston. You know, there's no need to anoint anybody right now. It's way too early in the season. And, you know, I got a little bit of pushback. I was like, well, obviously Talbot's the number one. Why? Absolutely not. I don't understand that logic that he's number one. So I'd like to see a little bit more of a, of a stricter rotation with the goaltenders to make sure they're both involved and they're both fresh. That's just – it's just – Joe, I mean, it's just modern-day sports. Like, it's just recency bias. Like, hey, the first two games, the goalies looked ridiculously bad. And then we get one good game out of Talbot. We get another good game. They're like, oh, yeah, that's the guy. Let's let's, let's ride him in. He's playing. He's playing eighty games a season uh, or eighty-one. You know, sorry, Phoenix Copley. Uh, you know, that's what it is. I, I think you're one hundred percent correct in that. That might be one of the most under the most astute analysis for this month is that this game isn't going to be this season isn't going to be won in October. Like they, both these guys need to be fresh. Yeah, they both. You know, especially with what this team is going to looks like it's going to be is this counteract team. Both these got goalies are going to be asked to make that one extra save to get us going. And if they're both, you know, both tired or one of them's tired and then the other one can't make a save, then you're then you're riding the goalie that, that is giving you the chance. You're not allowing the other guy to break out of the slump. I think it's going to be, you know, I think this team can win a lot of games if the, the goals against average is right around that 2 9 3 0 because we're going to be scoring four or five game, goals a game. So they just need to be good enough, and they need to yeah. be rotated to keep them fresh. And I think that's a very astute uh, way to look at it. Well, and McClellan knew that. He said at the start of the season, and I want to say it was the, one of the behind-the-glass episodes, he was like, I don't – you know, goalies are split in the first two games, and it doesn't matter if he's getting he, – Talbs could have a 40-save shutout. You know, Copley's going the next game. That's the mindset that it's got to be. Just because he he wins a game in Winnipeg and then wins again in Minnesota, it's not like oh we got to go back to him. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what is different a week later that you were changing that mindset? And and let's be honest, it's not as if Talbot. Yeah, he won those two games. They weren't exactly thirty five safe shutouts in those games. So I I I don't, don't want to like belabor the point and just make it bigger the uh, a bigger thing than it is. It's just. I really think you've got to lean on both of these goalies. You need them both fresh. You need to know. You need to learn. You need to know if Copley can't make a save over a stretch. You got to know that and you got to figure that out. Um, and then so you know what you got to address as you get to, you know, the second half of the season and the deadline. But you're not going to know that if you play them once every two weeks. So this needs to be a, a more – I want to see a more consistent rotation. I saw a comment, I think King King's Rule, or somebody asked the question about, like, who starts tomorrow. I, I, 
I don't even have a preference. I don't care as long as they're splitting, which I'm sure they are. It's back to back, but just split the next two games. I don't care which one it is right now. It's way too early for this stuff. You know, the Kings don't have a number one goalie period. They got two goalies split them both until one of them can't shows that they can't do it. Um, I'm seeing a lot of one A one B. It's more like two A two B. Yeah, like you know. I, I, I think, say, yeah, go ahead, Brandon. And I, I think they need the split for different reasons. I mean, Talbot's older; he just needs a little bit more rest. He's not able to to play sixty. And I think Copley. A lot of people don't realize, like, like last year was like the most games he's played in his career. Yeah. And like yeah. he still needs to see a lot of pucks. Like having him yeah. sit for two weeks straight isn't going to do anything for him to progress as a goalie or or do any of those types of things to where like they both need to have that split for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I will say I, I would like to see Copley get Arizona and maybe Talbot get Vegas. I mean, I'll, I'll, I want to see a split, but I would say Talbot's maybe performed just a little bit better. I don't think Is there's been there? separation. Sure. But sure. I'll just I'll just say but I I hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, hundred percent agree with both of you guys. I mean, these goalies, this the game, the Kings aren't going to win games three to two. We we've talked about this. This isn't Daryl Sutter era. They're going to score like four or five goals a game. So you don't need that excellent goaltending. You just need average goaltending, and this is pretty much what both tenders have shown so far. And Cam Talbot hasn't played fifty plus games since two thousand eighteen. So he ain't going to do it now. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to do it now. So this is I would. Like like Joe said, if we're not getting, if if we're seeing like, uh, or if we're not getting like a Cal Peterson situation where just he can't make a save, I would be totally fine if they got forty one and forty one, or even maybe like thirty five and thirty five, and sprinkle some David Riddick in there. Like I'd be totally fine with that because yeah, good, this good, offense good is going to carry. Up this could be goaltending. Yeah, shut up for the rain the other night. I yeah. I, I uh, it's just going to be interesting how how this goes right now. Uh, let me ask you a quick question here. I'm not a goalie whisperer and I don't really know much about it, Joe. And maybe, maybe, or Russell, you guys, either one can take this one. How do their styles differ? Like differ? And is there, is there like a goalie that you would go with versus like more of like a down low team or a team that likes to run and gun? Is there like a style difference to where that you would play a matchup style thing in this rotation or are they pretty similar? I mean, I, so this is where I, and I've said before, I really, when it comes to the technical side of goaltending, I don't feel comfortable talking much about it so I, I would say to me they are similar and I think it's intentional that they've got two two guys that are, are probably not necessarily known as like athletic goalies they're much more kind of just positionally sound um, and that's because of the style that they play in limiting high danger chances they don't need somebody that's that needs to make you know the big time save or the flashy save because um, you know, of the way that the Kings play as a style. It's a good question, Randon. I don't have a, I don't have a good enough answer for you other than that. They don't need that goalie to make the big time save because there's not those high danger chances coming toward them right now. Right. right. So, I mean, this is what the King, the Kings know that the, the goaltending situation they have, and it certainly feels like they're kind of defending in that kind of way where, hey, we're just going to collapse the middle of the ice in the slot. You're going to beat us from up up high or deflections in front. And that's kind of what we've seen, right? We've seen a little bit of that. A lot of the – I mean, Boston was taking point shots left and right. And I, I think I, I listened to some of the, the Boston broadcasts afterwards, and, and Jack Edwards was talking about how 
maybe Cam Talbot wasn't the best from the point, and you just see those point shots coming left and right. So the Kings are going to give up those chances, but they're not going to give up those chances in tight. So if they can continue that, I think we'll see a, a good Cam Talbot and a good Phoenix Copley. And I, and I think we've seen – I think it happened last game too. It's been – if you're going to give up those shots from the point, which is where you want those shots coming from, you have to do a better job coverage-wise down low. And, and we've seen it. It's it, they, There's been some culprits. I mean, Dowdy, Dowdy missed assignments. Matt Roy's missed assignments. Gavrikov's missed like it's, it's some of their top guys that have missed assignments on rebound goals. So, you know, that has to get shored up. But I think that's something that will correct itself. I think they'll be fine. But, like, you know, I think that each goalie has probably had a, a goal – Maybe if it wasn't a weak goal, maybe there's some of them like, you, you know, that's where you're if you had that, I don't know, pick your pick your ace goalie that maybe steals one of those one of those for you, one of those shots or goals or rebounds or something that you wouldn't expect. But, you know, the, the idea is give up the low danger point shot, clear the front of the net, clear the rebound and that, you know. Th- that hasn't happened as much as it should. I mean, that's that's individual assignments being missed. Um, there's been some rebound goals, but that's I, I I don't put that on the goalies. CJ coming in here quickie with his 59 <clears throat> shutout, most shutouts by a U.S. born goalie. Congratulations, Jonathan Quick. Boy, oh boy, that's rock bottom in Edmonton right now. <laughs> uh, which prompts Shake Master to come in as should we make the trade for quick? We said they're going to trade oh, for a goalie at the there, deadline. <laughs> no. Oh man. Well, it's been excellent uh, episode back with you guys. Glad to get back here and 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 fire off some Kings hockey. Uh, you guys can check out all of our articles at hockeyroyalty.com. Uh, they're coming out daily with the uh, you know post games, different analysis there. So go check that out. You can follow us at hockey underscore royalty at Rando Commando 24, at J.W. Paterino, at NHL Russell. All your rain news can be coming from uh, Kyle there at Kopitar4HOF. If you guys want to throw down some money, some coins, some shekels, uh, DraftKings code THPN coming at you hot. Bet $5, get $200 in bonus bets. Uh, And as always, on this podcast, go Kings go.